Hello, and welcome to another episode of InfraLogic's Crossroads Podcast. I'm Eugene Gilligan, Senior Reporter at InfraLogic. Our guest on the podcast is Kevin Cox, CEO of Ferrovial Vertiports. Vertiports are essential infrastructure for electric vehicle takeoff and landing aircraft. Kevin has joined us to bring us up to date on Vertiports and what milestones are ahead for this interesting technology. Hello, Kevin, and welcome. Thanks, Eugene. I appreciate it. Thanks. So why don't you talk about how the site selection is going for Vertiports? What key metrics do you look at when considering site selection? Excellent question. Multiple things. It first begins and ends with what we believe is kind of the secret sauce that Ferrovial has built over the last four or five years, which is a fairly sophisticated demand model that looks at big data, telephone data, where people are traveling between point A and point B. We can tell how long it's taking. We can tell if it should be an hour. Why is it taking an hour and a half? Purpose of trip. And then we can slice and dice that kind of data to build what we believe is a very conservative but sophisticated, like I indicated, demand model of where there are opportunities for us to save people travel time, whether they're traveling by their own car, a taxi, a bus, a train, and sometimes even a plane. And then we have a predictive algorithm model that has been developed over years that allows us to assess the likelihood of being able to, willingness to pay and value of time and how that will lead to potential EVATOL traffic between two particular points on a map. And then from there, we look to build out not just one location or two, but a network no different than an airline that's looking to, to build that out. So the first is we would never build or construct or operate a vertiport if we didn't believe there was thick markets, demand opportunity, and commercial viability for ultimately whoever the operator or, or operators they may be serving at that vertiport. The second, though, is not just you know demand, but making sure that that site is conducive for first and last mile. It does us no good to save somebody 30 minutes of travel time if they can't get to their ultimate destination or they're sitting at a vertiport waiting to find a connection to wherever they're ultimately uh, destined for. And then the third and final main three is to ensure it's cost effective. One of our goals is to ensure as part of this ecosystem that's looking to transform how people move to, through, and between cities is to make sure it's cost effective for the operators and ultimately for the customers. So those are really, you know, the three kind of primary points that we look for when we're trying to begin and develop a network. What infrastructure requirements are in a port? What has to be in them? Well, it is similar to an airport, but on a micro size. So, you know, I, I came from Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport where we had 25,000 acres and we can build a vertiport on an acre to have a one photo stand and two, I should say one photo, which is a takeoff and landing area and two uh, stands where you have uh, the aircraft waiting to, to either take off or may have just landed and is deplaning. You need a small terminal building for inclement weather and you need to be able to ensure that you got the good ingress and egress. And so it really is a, a microcosm of, of what an airport is, but it also takes it beyond that. At the end of the day, as my team lives and breathes, as we begin to work with uh, some of the, the best designers and architects and engineers in the world is it can't look, feel, or act like an airport. It's got to feel and look 
uh, like you're literally from the moment you arrive, uh, within minutes you are uh, boarding your EVITOL and you're taking off. So there are not the same kind of amenities that you would normally see at an airport where you've got these law large mall kind of in buying and selling you stuff. Uh, it really is about convenience and it really is about finding those locations as we talked earlier that are the thickest markets. And because of that, you tend to be in the most congested areas. And so you very much just need a postage stamp. So you have the ability to get people uh, to and through and onto the aircraft. Is uh, P3 a, a financing structure that can be used for port development? Could they be P3 projects? Absolutely. I mean, I think if this industry is going to take off, it's going to take off on a multitude of ways of financing. But three, P3 is absolutely, I would say, top of the list. The fact of the matter is, you know, there are lots of public airports out there. There are lots of secondary and tertiary airports out there. But cities, counties, and municipalities, you know, don't have extra money sitting around to take a... Uh, uh, an investment on a, a commercial flight that has never flown commercially in a in a, a completely different kind of context. Historically, you know, cities and counties and and others will invest in large airports. They tend to be much removed from from population, and this kind of puts aviation on its head, and that's taking it to where the people are. And to do that, it takes somebody like ourselves and our company that understands you know, how to build, how to operate, and how to run businesses and do it in a very effective manner. So uh, there will be situations where, you know, we will invest and build our own networks. Uh, I suspect there will be others out there that will be working collaboratively with municipalities and others or airports uh, to the extent there's demand there. So if this is going to be reliant on anything, it's going to be reliant on private money coming in and standing up this this uh, new form of transportation. Please talk about your recent uh, agreement with EVE Air Mobility and how uh, you see this advancing vertiports. We have a very, what we call agnostic approach to aviation and EVITALs and vertiports per se, in that we recognize that there are multiple business models out there that are literally hundreds of EVITAL companies, some that have raised over, you know, a billion, billion and a half dollars, some that are still looking at, at paper airplanes and, and modeling uh, how they would design and, and kind of build and bring something to market. We also recognize that there are different business models. Some are looking for, you know, air taxi short haul traffic. Some are looking for longer haul connect cities. And kind of a third component is, as you've seen in the last year or so, airlines looking to get in it and how they could potentially feed their hubs or get passengers quickly to wherever they are operating the larger aircraft. All of those means our agnostic approach is, uh, is finding those folks that we believe are most likely to succeed and bring stuff to the table that will help us stitch together a robust ecosystem. And Eve, obviously, uh, with the backing of, of uh, Embraer, um, has got some expertise. They move a lot of stuff uh, in and around uh, Central and South America, and have got some wonderful uh, engineers and, and computer science folks that, that know how to do that. So we are collaborating with them, but we're also collaborating with lots of others. There are many other OEMs that we have what we have called NDAs with. Uh, some of them are focused on con ops. Uh, some of them are focused on the commercial commercialization of the aircraft. 
But at the end of the day, what we want to make sure is whether it's an Eve aircraft or a Joby or a Lilium or an Archer, that we can accommodate those those aircraft at our vertiports and at our networks. And the only way to do that is to extend a hand and, and work collaboratively with, with all of those folks. Who do you see is really the typical customer who would use eVTOLs and vertiports? Any thoughts on, on that? I would argue it's going to evolve over time. I think like any technology, you will have those that uh, are the first adopters. Mm -hmm. And given uh, this is all about moving people as quickly as possible, those that value time and have the ability to pay Mm -hmm. will most likely be the first users, whether that is a businessman or a businesswoman trying to get quickly from point A in city to point B in city so they can, can make their meeting. It could also, in theory, be commuters, as well as people that simply may be traveling Heard example is from arriving at Miami International Airport and wants to get to to the cruise ships or wants to get to the Keys or wherever the case is. So there are many different components, but it's all about value of time and convenience. Over time, uh, we believe that this will ultimately become for the masses, but that's going to take some time, going to take some production and scaling and, and development and ultimately adoption by the consumer realizing that they can, you know, more quickly and very efficiently and quietly and without any emissions get hopping over uh, what has traditionally been a very difficult place uh, in any particular market. So my view is it's going to evolve over time, but it will start with those that are willing to pay a little bit more to get from point A to point B. About financing Vertiports, will you consider taking on equity partner or partners or looking at other forms of financing to, to build them? Uh, could you talk about that a little? Absolutely. So Ferrovial, about four or five years ago, began looking, as they always do, forward and through their innovation group, looking for opportunities to where they can can take what we believe we do well, which is to build finance, build, and operate major transportation infrastructure. And they saw on the horizon that EVATOL technology was coming uh, to fruition quite quickly and that allowed us to do uh, what we do best, which is build that kind of infrastructure. So they are uh, all in and dedicated to helping try to, to bring this transformative form of transportation to the marketplace. And they are using their own equity uh, at this point to commit to various networks across the United States and Europe. Having said that, you know, it's not a, a cheap endeavor when you're building, you know, micro vertiports or, or micro airports in, in large cities and, and building networks. And traditionally, as Froville has done in the past, whether it's been uh, at JFK, at New Terminal 1, or whether it's been at, at uh, where they uh, were the largest shareholder of, of London Heathrow, it is likely over time that we will bring in strategic partners that will not only bring capital, but, but bring expertise to, uh, uh, to help us fulfill our mission. So, you know, right now we're funding it ourselves. They're very committed to it. But in typical kind of uh, capital diversification process, they're always looking for potential partners that may bring not only capital, but some expertise to the table. Now, as far as on the regu- regulatory front, what regulations will need to be passed both on probably from the federal level and the state level to uh, move vertiports forward? What has to happen on that front? Let's start from the federal side and and work down to the kind of state and local. The federal, there are really two kind of fundamental things that have to occur. One is actual certification of the aircraft. And there are many 
eVITAL companies uh, that have raised significant amount of money that are going through that uh, certification, whether that's in, through the FAA in the US or whether that's the uh, EASA in Europe or whether it's uh, in the United Kingdom with the CAA, they're going through these regulatory approval processes. And as with any kind of regulatory approval process, whether you're the FAA, EASA or CAA, safety is paramount. So, uh, you know, they are, they will ensure when these aircraft get certified that they're as safe as any other aircraft uh, out there. And I would argue safer than many because of uh, the simplicity behind the design, because of the uniqueness of the technology, and because these have no single point of failure. So there's redundancy throughout these aircraft. But they will be going through that certification progress. Some are projected to, to get certified as early as 2025. And when they get certified, you know, we hope to have infrastructure in place to begin to stand this industry up. There's the certification of the aircraft piece. There's also the the kind of guidelines and whether it will be necessary to build and operate a public uh, vertiport. And the FAA, as an example, has Engineering Brief 105. It's their first review of what they believe is necessary to build the appropriate safety and, and facilities that will operate these. EASA has similar uh, but slightly different standards. Those will, if you're building a public avertiport, will have to meet all of those requirements. And, and we've reviewed them and quite honestly believe they're, they're quite achievable and, and make, make lots of sense. And that's on the federal level. So you get your vertiport, you work with the FAA to ensure when you're citing something that, that you're integrating with the airspace and there are no issues, you know, and, and conflicts and that sort of stuff. This industry will start with visual flight rules, VFR, um, so no different than any aircraft taking off in VFR conditions. You'll work through all of those requirements that you have to check the box uh, to operate your aircraft. The states, depending upon the state, may have some authority in terms of, of anointing whether or not there is a, a quote, vertiport or a airport or whatever may case, but that seems to be and generally is less of an issue and more of a, you know, dot the I, cross the T, making sure that there is some oversight there. But at the end of the day, really this industry will not be hamstrung by the federal or the state. It will be completely dependent upon uh, working with the local communities, explaining the benefits of this uh, technology, and ultimately getting them to adopt, support, and want uh, vertiports. Uh, in their community. And, and that requires education, which we're out there doing today in the markets that we've initiated conversations with, explaining what it means, explaining how green it is, explaining how quiet it is. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the communities blessing the zoning, blessing the, the building of it, but then embracing it as a form of transportation. And really the local piece, uh, we believe, is going to be the most critical piece of getting right and, and not... Uh, going places where the community don't want us. Just the opposite. We want to be where uh, people want to want the convenience, want the green, want the this new form of transportation. So what will basically be your focus over the next 12 months working on Vertiports? What, what are your goals? We are active on lots of fronts. We are in our second or third generation of our, our design uh, as it relates to what a Vertiport would look like, how we would operate. As I indicated earlier, we're working hand in glove with uh, most of the major OEMs and operators that have shown interest on how we would 
actually operate these facilities? Who has what responsibility? How do we ensure, you know, the difference between the vertiport operator and the and the actual EVITAL operator? So we will be going through a series of design and, and refinements as well as uh, con ops to make sure that we can uh, accept any business model and we can accept any kind of operation. Simultaneously, we will be out there uh, beginning and continuing to lease uh, at locations where we believe are the are the perfect markets. Uh, we started in Florida. Our first lease is at West Palm Beach. We have other ongoing negotiations uh, with a variety of of uh, potential sites in and about Florida. We've begun negotiations, or I should say, discussions, working towards negotiations for uh, sites in in uh, New York, New Jersey. We have ambitions of building networks in uh, Southern California. Uh, Northern California at some point, Texas, as well as uh, the United Kingdom, Spain, and potentially other parts of Europe. So we're, you know, you can't build all of it at once. We're going to be very focused and thoughtful as we go about it. But the next 12 months will, you know, continue to open up the, the leasing opportunities and lining up operators who are interested in serving those particular markets. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you for appearing here and, and giving us this information. It's uh, quite a technology, and we'll be watching it very closely. So it was very interesting. We appreciate your time. Well, Eugene, it's it's been my pleasure. And, you know, if I could leave you with anything, you know, most people think that this is, you know, the Jetsons kind of pie-in-the-sky mentality. The reality of it is this is, this is uh, transformative, but it is on the very near horizon, and it will – it will truly affect how people move, as I've indicated, and, and we couldn't be more excited to be part of that, that ecosystem and technology. So we appreciate the time, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, and thank you to our listeners for listening, and we invite you to subscribe to the Crossroads podcast. You can find this episode wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. <laughs>